All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Today we got another guest on. We got the one and only Brady Miller on. Um, I've known Brady for a few years back when I used to work for Go Hunt is when I met him, but I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast know exactly who he is, so he doesn't need much of an introduction, but he is a mule deer fanatic. He is a kind of an extreme backcountry hunter. Um, we had a really good conversation about you know long-range shooting, talked about his, you know, a little bit different hunting season this year um, compared to what he usually has, and then definitely had a good conversation about the hunt he's actually about to leave on within the next few days. Um, but real quick, before we get you guys into the uh, into the interview, um, if you guys want to check out the podcast social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram, and my personal is at c.dillashaw on Instagram. But without any further ado, I'll get you guys into the conversation with Brady. All right, guys, we've got another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Today we got the one and only Brady Miller on, a.k.a. Mule Deer Jesus. Um, he's an outdoorsman, long-range shooter. He's one of the main guys bringing you all the awesome content that Go Hunt puts out. Um, but, Brady, if there's anything I missed, you want to introduce yourself, and then we'll get started. Mule Deer Jesus, that's an interesting one. I gotta, I got. I don't know if I should thank Cody Boer for giving me that crazy nickname or just kind of roll with it, but... I think yeah, he's kind of old with it. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of goes to, like says who I am, you know, a guy who's just addicted to mule deer. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know anybody that loves mule deer more than you. I'd I'd give up anything to chase those. Yeah, awesome animals around. Right. Cool. Well, I guess before we get it doing lately, let's go back to the beginning. Talk about kind of how you got into hunting and the outdoors and all that. Yeah, so I think maybe it's not so normal nowadays, but I got into hunting basically through through my dad. He was always just a lifelong hunter, fisherman, trapper. And basically when I was younger, I just kept seeing him doing all these crazy adventures everywhere. And even just whitetail hunting around Minnesota, because that's where I grew up is in Minnesota. So, you know, whitetails were a big thing back in the day, but just always, you know, going to tree stand with him, following him around, getting into waterfowl, getting into whitetail hunting, getting into bow hunting, and then you know, I was even trapping on the side too, trying to make some extra money when I was a little kid. And just literally, it's all I ever thought about was hunting. Like, it seems, it seems crazy to think like where I am now, because us literally when I was younger, all I wanted to do was hunt. Like, I can't think of a time in my life where I didn't think about hunting. And I think that's probably why when I was younger, I didn't have any girlfriends and no <laughs> girls wanted to hang out with me because all I would do is Oh yeah, what's Brady doing the weekend? Oh, he's probably going hunting somewhere or just going up in his tree stand or doing anything. So I was the type of person who literally thought about hunting all the time. I would even like schedule all my like classes during high school around like reading classes basically and like English basically. So so that way I could just sit in a tree stand and read a book to do my homework. That way I can hunt and get all my schoolwork done at the same time. So I was I guess you could say super, super addicted to hunting. So it all just like started from you know, my dad, my brothers, my mom never hunted, but uh, she was always supportive of everything. And then just constantly seeing my dad, like as I got older, he would go out west and go on these other, you know, adventures where he'd just come back and be like, oh, yeah, we, we saw, you know, so and so many animals per day. We we're glassing them up. And I was like, man, that sounds amazing. Way better than, you know, sitting in a tree stand whitetail hunting. So I just kind of got the western bug through him and just always like, you know, when I get the time to finally, you know, graduate high school. And so what I'm going to do is move out of the Midwest and move out West. Like that was a whole dream of mine. I just wanted to be somewhere where I could hunt all sorts of animals, you know, deer, elk, whatever it may be out West. And I always had a dream of out West. And so when I was 18, moved out to Montana and that's, I think when I finally got to put the addiction into, you know, play because there's so many opportunities when I moved to Montana. And that's probably why also I, took me five years to graduate college because I was hunting too much and had to repeat a couple of classes because sometimes <laughs> I wasn't there in the morning. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. No. So I've, I've just been always addicted to hunting and everything around it and all the, you know, the activities and prep and anything that I could, you know, cut my teeth on. I was like, man, I just want to get out West and hunt and moving to Montana was definitely something that just opened my eyes to what's available and all the different crazy opportunities out there. So that just, really lit a fire under me and 
yeah, and that's probably where, you know, my mule deer addiction came from. I was always really excited about mule deer, but it was just going out there and glassing up animals. And then maybe I was, I think I was, became a mule deer hunter too, because I was really bad at elk hunting. <laughs> like all my friends would want to go elk hunting and we never got anything. And, you know, just kind of one thing led to another. And I was like, man, these mule deer, they're way cooler than elk. And then that, that just blossomed into the pure addiction that it is today. So yeah, hunting's been a big part of my life and I don't know honestly what I'd be doing right now in my life if it wasn't, you know, so addicted to hunting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So growing up, you did the whitetail thing. Was there like a, like a figure, figure, whether it was, you know, somebody in your family or somebody you saw on TV that that kind of piqued your interest in Western hunting or. Yeah. I was always like reading, you know, books and magazines back in the day and, you know, seeing all those stuff from like Jim Shockey on TV going all these crazy adventures and then, you know, all sorts of other, you know, hosts of TV, TV celebrities back in the day. Cause I think back in the day we didn't even have outdoor channel. It was like, I think the cable network was like TNN and you could watch all, you know, real trees videos and, you know, all those other guys just going out West all the time. And I think that's just, you know, reading books and then just read magazines and seeing stories and just seeing like, it was more like about an adventure rather than a hunt. I think it was really drove me to Western hunting. Cause it's not just like, Oh yeah, go sit in your backyard maybe you'll get a deer today. Maybe you'll see a deer today where it's like out West. It seems like every day you're just struggling to, you know, find camp, find water, make, make shelter and just all that adventure side of it. I think it just drove me to want to do that even more because I, I think I'm the type of person who just craves adventure and craves, you know, beautiful places. And I think that's what Western hunting definitely leads people to do is just put yourself in uncomfortable situations and the most gorgeous scenery anywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. So once you kind of got into Western hunting, at what point did you start kind of taking it to where you are now to like, you know, probably, I guess what most people would consider the extreme of, you know, those backpack type hunts that you're doing now. I, I think it almost happened pretty much right away when I moved to Montana. My dad had given me like this old, I think it was like a Jansport, like external frame backpack, like not set up for hunting at all. I was like, Hey, you're going to need this. You're going to need a bivy sack. I had a really heavy sleeping bag and just horrible optics and just started grinding it out and just started learning like, Hey, this backpack thing is pretty fun. I can get away from people. And I've, I've always been, you know, an athlete my whole life, just working on, you know, different parts of my physical fitness. And I think, well, I'm a, you know, six foot five, six foot six guy with boots on and long legs. And if I want to make success, I just got to go further than other people are willing to go. And I just started really enjoying like, going deeper and deeper. And then it was just meeting some friends who also enjoyed backpacking. And, and then also too, eventually after college, I ended up getting a sweet job where I was a, uh, basically like a fisheries biologist. And all we did was backpack the whole entire time in Glacier National Park. So backpacking just became basically more normal to me than sleeping in a house because we would literally be out in the woods for, from like, I don't know, I think it was like March until November like literally camping every single night, like just testing out backpacking gear. And I would buy new gear because I'd get it on like a government discount and just try new things here and there. And then just that just like blossomed even more, just my addiction of mountains and crazy places. And then just, you know, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And I definitely have failed a million times in my life when it comes to backpacking <laughs> and stuff, carrying the wrong gear, wrong food, wrong anything, wrong boots, wrong clothing, but just like, I think that's just like that challenge that you just keep putting yourself through. And, and that just led to like this love backpacking. I think if I didn't hunt, I think someone asked me this question the other day and it's like a hard thing to think about, but like think about a little bit lately. It's like, if I didn't hunt, I'd be some like crazy mountaineer person, just like, you know, going on these crazy, whatever it is, like, you know, trying to climb the tallest mountain or trying to stay out in the middle of winter in the snow, like, that stuff excites me. And that's why I think mule deer hunting just works its way into that too, because you got to put yourself in places that you don't really probably shouldn't really be going to those places. Cause it's not meant for a human to survive, but like, so you're trying to survive and you're trying to hunt an animal at the same time. And that's like the ultimate challenge to me. And that's what backpack hunting and hunting mule deer means to me. It's just like crazy places, crazy adventure. Yeah, absolutely. But now most guys know you as like the, the long range rifle guy, but, in the past you were the the archery guy the archery only yeah i used to i used to be a guy who would make fun of rifle hunters like literally i would be like why would i ever pick up a rifle i'm super proficient with a bow i would just do 
my dad's always been like a long range shooter and really into reloading and geeking out on weapons. And I just basically took all that stuff that he would do with his rifle and look at other people who do with the rifle. And I'll basically convert all that over to archery. So I would like, you know, weigh every little piece of my arrow, weigh all my knock, my fletchings, like make the arrow weigh exactly the same, tune the bow perfectly. I even built my own hooter shooter back <laughs> in the day, just so I could like perfect everything about shooting my bow. And I was super addicted to it. And I feel like I was very proficient and really loved archery, really loved it. And literally that's all I did for a long time. Bow hunted mule deer in Montana for quite a while during the rut and pretty successful and shot a lot of ammo with my bow, shot a moose mountain goat with my bow and even even shot a coos deer down to Mexico with my bow. And everyone made fun of me like, oh yeah, why are you bringing a bow to a gunfight? Like, you're not going to kill a coos deer with your bow. And I was like, no, I'm dedicated to this. I will kill a coos deer with my bow. And, you know, sure enough, I tagged out on day three before anyone else with the rifle guys. Like I was straight up addicted to bow hunting. Yeah. It was something I just absolutely loved. And unfortunately, I had a really bad uh, situation happen that 2015 Colorado hunt where I lost a 200 and it was like 205 to 210 inch deer. And that kind of was a turning point to me. Like I just kind of lost my drive and just haven't, I don't know, I need, I need to get the, you know, the monkey off my back and pick it up again. But that just really ate me up losing the first animal I've ever lost in my life, bow or rifle, and yeah. having it be such a giant deer. And that kind of just like, you know, took a little bit out of me. Yeah. You guys got that one on film too, right? That's one of your go hunt films. Yeah. I think that one's called uh, into thin air. It's a really good film. I think it's more like a documentary kind of goes through my struggle, really good cinematography on my stock. And it was an absolute giant deer. Uh, but yeah, just hit him a little far back. I didn't stop the buck and that was probably, you know, my fault. I just had spooked him literally like an hour before at 20 yards. I was like, well, I'm not going to try to stop this deer. And he's just walking down like a mountain goat, little cliff area and let the arrow fly hit a little far back and went all the way through them and really looked for that deer for I think three or four days and covered like 35 miles myself just zigzagging everywhere trying to find it and we're like oh yeah he's definitely dead and giant rainstorm came and I don't know ever since then I've developed like a severe target panic I've kind of gotten over that now but it's just like I don't know I think back now it's like yeah I was super big into bow hunting and now rifle hunting is taking me this whole other path. If I would have killed that deer and recovered it, I have no clue where I'd be right now. Maybe I'd still be a crazy bow hunter. And I don't know, maybe I would pick up a rifle eventually. But yeah, now I'll just take all those same sort of craziness when building my arrows and shooting my bow all the time. Like I used to even shoot my bow in my house, like constantly. I'd have a target and just keep shooting arrows all the time. And now I you know, converted that over the rifle and just literally shoot my gun all the time, dry fire my gun all the time, reload all the time. I'm always out in the range, just like trying to make myself better. So I, I think I take, I went through both extremes. I think it really helps too, to like be a bow hunter first. Mm-hmm. Cause I think now when I pick up a rifle, it's like, my gosh, like if I see an animal, I know I can kill that animal because I know how to like stock and work the wind and navigate through the terrain. So I think all that stuff led up to like positive things and made me kind of the rifle hunter I am today. But yeah, now I'm just a deep, deep in the rabbit hole of rifles and reloading and just becoming a better shooter. Because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you know, people can make fun of long range shooters all the time, but it's like, it's just another tool in my toolkit. And I feel like I'm so proficient at it that, you know, you can look at anyone who shoots and all the time, it's like, well, if they shoot all the time, they know what they're doing. Like it's more power to them. You know, I'm not going to take shots in the field that I'm not comfortable with, but I just like to practice those extreme levels and just makes it so I'm way more proficient when I get in field and I know how my weapon works and all the read the wind when I'm shooting my rifle and just you know getting down like I said that really deep rabbit hole of just trying to make myself more proficient with that weapon because I think I have all the other tools I need in that toolkit but again just like practicing all the time like you know everyone does archery and rifle it's just like I said another tool in the toolkit and I'm addicted to shoot my rifle, smelling that gunpowder and reloading. And I was just shooting my, my rifle this morning again, getting ready for another hunt. And it's just, yeah, I'm so addicted to rifle hunting now. It's not even hard to explain like the level of like detail I go into to make sure all my, all my rifles just shoot perfectly every single time. Yeah, definitely. What's your, what's your setup now? I know you just switched over to 300 rum recently, right? Yep. Yep. So I switched over to 300 rum basically. Cause I just wanted a, uh, I want to try something new a little bit. I've been shooting a 300 wind mag forever, you know, shooting some 215 burger hybrids back in the day and kill a lot of animals with them. My family's, you know, we kill a lot of stuff with the 300 wind mag. I, when I grew up rifle hunting in Minnesota, 
we would always do 300 win mags. And I don't, I don't ever believe there's, you can be too overgunned when you're out West. Cause like, you never know when, you know, hunting is, you know, there's a lot of things that happen while you're hunting and, you know, I'd rather be perfect all the time, but there's a chance where you might not be perfect. So, well, a big gun's going to knock the animal down to the point where I probably get a second shot if need be, because, you know, hunting just never know what's going to go on. So I was like, well, kind of, you know, did all the stuff I want to do with the 300 wind mag. Let's try something new and see if I can do with the 300 rum. It's got a lot more powder behind it, a lot more energy, and I can push a lot bigger bullets out of it. So yeah, I'm shooting a 300 rum, all the Browning X-Bolt and, uh, this year I tried to switch up something new as well. Just so I can basically have more experience when people ask me, Hey, what, how'd you get this setup to work compared to that setup? And so I'm trying out, uh, um, their Barnes 208 grain LRX boat tail, their copper bullets. Okay. And I'm pushing those at like, what is it? 31, 31, 85 feet per second. So push them pretty hot and they definitely are some nasty, nasty rounds. They hammer and they just, they hit so hard and they're so accurate. So it's just people are like, yeah, why'd well, you switch over from burger to this? And it's like, well, just to try it new. So that when someone asked me a question about, you know, Hey, what are your thoughts on copper bullets? Well, that's why this year I'm just trying copper bullets and just feeling it out. But I'm super excited with what I got going right now. I've never had a gun shoot this accurate. It is literally, I can lay down behind this gun and shoot. And a lot of people too will just, you know, poke fun at my setup because my rifle weighs 14 pounds, five ounces. Yeah. So it's a beast. It's a beast to carry. But like, again, my, my philosophy is a rifle's one purpose is to kill an animal. Like that's the sole purpose is the one shot kill. And I can lay behind that gun comfortably and make that happen all the time. Like, yeah, I, I could probably do it with a lighter weight rifle, but this me, this heavier rifle, I can sit down behind it. There's, I, I, I don't believe in, you know, recoil and flinching and all that because I shoot so much. But if you're the type of person who maybe you know, flinches a little bit when you shoot a rifle, a heavier rifle is going to help with that. And then also it just makes it easier for me to track my shots too. When I'm solo, I can literally sit behind the gun, shoot an animal and I can literally watch it impact that animal. And there's no greater feeling than knowing when you pull that trigger that you that you crush that animal. So 300 rum has been a phenomenal, phenomenal cartridge to shoot this year. I'm just so happy with it. You know, I shot that, shot an elk, I shot a bear with it. I shot a mountain lion with it this year. And it's definitely definitely something i'm going to keep around for a while i'm really excited about the rum nice yeah i mean i know i mean you've been kind of a mentor i guess or some inspiration my rifle setup i mean you're the one that when i was getting my rifle i asked you all about it and you got me on the 300 win mag and now i'm still shooting those 215 burgers and tell you what they work i shot my cow elk at 656 this year and it oh yeah they they hammer (laughs) yeah it it stopped it right away. It was a little high lung shot, but it I'm pretty sure she died instantly. I didn't get it on camera, but that's what it looked like. Yep, there's no replacement for displacement. You can't kill an animal too dead, so might as well shoot something big. Cause like I said, you never know when like you know the animal takes a step, but that big that big bullet and all that energy from your wind mag is just gonna it's gonna knock them down to the point where if you need to get a second round in, you can. Where if you shoot something lighter. Yeah, you can, you know, you can kill an animal in the perfect spot. But like I said, hunting is, you know, sometimes just things just happen. And that's why I think a bigger cartridge, I think more people got time and practice a little bit more. They might be happier with the results. Yeah, there's a million cartridges out there and people can use whatever they want. But end of the day, I think it's just I owe it to that animal to make a one shot kill and knock it down as quick as I can. I think that's what a bigger cartridge does. And like you said, proof's in the pudding. Like your 300 meg, those 215s, like. That's mm-hmm. a phenomenal, phenomenal round for a wind mag. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. I've had a lot of success with it. Well, th- more people than me. I th- I've only ever killed one animal with that rifle, and my brother's killed quite a few. Ethan, who still has killed his elk with it. So. Oh, yeah. I remember, yeah, your rifle got passed around a lot last year yeah. before you even got to use it. Yeah. Well, both him and my brother killed things with that rifle before I was ever able to. So, <laughs> but... I finally got it done this year on that cow up, but heck yes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super, I'm super jealous. I love having cow up tags. It's such a, yeah. such a fun hunt to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Especially mine. Mine was the early tag, early rifle tag in Nevada. So it's still peak rut. So it was a ton of fun. Probably saw some good bulls too. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one I pretty much chased the same herd of elk for, three days straight and the herd bull he was 340 he might have been over 350 but 
he was a good bull for sure. But what 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 scope was that again that you had on that rifle? I have the Vortex Strike Eagle, that five to twenty-five. Oh yeah, that's a solid scope as well. Yeah, I mean for the six seven hundred bucks, I think it's probably one of your best options out there in that budget range. Yeah, the the price point, and then it's not like not super heavy either. No, no, it is big. It's a big thirty-four millimeter tube and like a fifty-six objective. So, mm-hmm. but I like it a lot. It's done me well. But so looking at your social media and all that this year, it looks like you've had a pretty eventful season, a little bit outside of the norm for you. Yeah, this season's been a little crazy. It's kind of heartbreaking just to <laughs> just dive into heartbreaking side of it because everyone, like like we talked about earlier, I absolutely love mule deer, and I thought this was going to be an absolutely phenomenal mule deer year. Did a lot of summer scouting. Everything was green. You know, the high country was looking really good and roll into hunting season. Think I have all my ducks in a row and Turns out just one of those years where I struggled to try to find a mature buck. I didn't see, you know, I hunted two different states. I had three mule deer tags. Um, and, yeah, I just kept passing up bucks left and right. Hunted, hunted before a snowstorm, hunted during a snowstorm for one of my hunts. Just kept seeing elk everywhere, dink bucks here and there. Not finding any deer, just hiking further and further and further. And it's just like, I don't know, like – sometimes you just got to humble yourself. It just makes me coming back from both these hunts and not taking a deer, but knowing, you know, I passed up deer that, you know, some people would be happy to shoot, but I'm just looking for that upper age class. Like that's what really just drives me is trying to find an old mature deer. And yeah, I definitely, you know, love antlers. I love meat too, but I go after the biggest, oldest deer I can find and just not finding one and then coming home without any punch tags, it stings. But, you know, like I said, it's just driving me to, you know, do even more more homework this year and try to find some new units. Because both these, all these places I hunted this year for me, they were totally new to me. Never stepped foot in those units with a rifle in my hand before. So it was a learning experience. You know, maybe this, some of it could be too, you know, deer numbers, you know, they fluctuate all the time and maybe I was just in the wrong spot, wrong time. But I don't know, I feel like I did my due diligence and just didn't scratch a big one up. But Again, like you said, the wild season is I definitely had extra tags in my pocket that paid off. Like in Idaho, you know, Idaho allows you to downgrade your non-resident deer tag to a wolf, mountain lion, or a black bear. And so I think it was, I don't know, I was there for a long time. It was almost, it was on my like second week of being in Idaho, glassed up a uh, mountain lion sitting on a rock. And that was a cool experience ever. I've, I've glassed up a few mountain lions in my life, but never when I actually had a tag in my pocket. So I was like, dang, there's a mountain lion right there. And it took me a while to register. Like I can shoot that mountain lion right now. Like I literally have a tag for it. And even if I shoot this mountain lion, I still have another deer tag. Cause I was able to pick up two deer tags in Idaho in the same unit. And the mountain lion was literally, it's one of those rare occasions where I glassed it up and I was able to shoot it right from my glassing spot, which was really cool. And it was, it was a long poke. It was, I believe it was like 706 yards, but again, I'm just fully confident in my rifle setup, know how to dope the wind, literally sat there, grabbed my Kestrel, grabbed the wind, ranged it. And I was like, okay, there's a mountain line. I can shoot it, but there's all this like sticks and stuff right behind this tree. And I'm like thinking in my head, what does a mountain line do when it's gets off a rock like it's not gonna like walk around and feed like a deer you know is it not lion just gonna run is it gonna climb up a tree like i didn't i had no clue like is this mountain lion gonna hang around am i at the hurry and all of a sudden it's like literally i think 15 minutes went by and this mountain lion just sitting on this boulder i'm like okay what's this mountain lion gonna do it needs to take a step off this boulder because there's too many limbs in the way and so i'm on my spotter recording digiscope back on my gun back on my spotter and then finally the mountain lion starts moving. I'm like, all right, we're going to have to make this happen quick. And luckily the mountain lion hopped off the boulder, walked right into a little opening and just stood there. And I was able to touch off the shot and just absolutely hammered it. And it was, the, it's literally the coolest digiscope footage ever. Like this mountain lion, you can, you can swatch. The, I didn't have the spotter zoomed in all the way because I was using that brand new Swarovski ATC. It's a 17 by 40, really tiny um, compact spotter. I had it zoomed out and you can watch the bullet vapor trail throughout the whole video impact right right behind the shoulder literally couldn't have placed that bullet any more perfect and that mountain line just starts tumbling down the mountain it was super steep all the snow was kicking up everywhere and i was like holy crap i just killed the mountain lion <laughs> like literally the cheapest mountain lion hunt i'll ever go on the other tag only cost me 350 bucks 
and I don't have to pay for dogs. I don't have to pay for a guide, like pretty much a once in a lifetime opportunity to glass up a mountain lion and be able to take that mountain lion right there. And it was my first mountain lion ever. And I'm just like on cloud nine at this point. I'm just like, I shot a mountain lion in a nasty backcountry unit and literally I'm like, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, just kept thinking in my head, like, I can't believe this happened. Glassed a mountain line up and shot it. And then, then the funniest, the funniest part, I get all the way over the mountain line. Then I'm like, well, I didn't see exactly this thing was dead. I saw it rolling down on a bunch of brush and I'm like, well, now I got a mountain line here. I got to try to find this thing. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like trying to talk to myself and like talking out loud. But I'm like, wait, I know if I know anything about a cat, it definitely already knows I'm here. So if that thing is slightly alive in any way. Like there could be an easy chance. It's just like going to pounce at me any second. But I'm like, I know I crushed it. That's such a big bullet hitting that animal at that, like even at that distance, it's a lot of energy. And I started walking around zigzag and throw this green stuff a little bit and had my waypoint marked of where I thought I was at. And literally it was, you know, 30 yards below me. And like seeing that mountain line there on the ground, it was already starting to snow again and like picking that mountain line up. And then just like, right away I just notice like yeah it looks like a big mountain line. i have no clue what a, like how big a mountain line should be like everyone throws on weights all the time but like holding that mountain line i was like dang these things are hard to hold up for photos especially when you're solo trying to get a photo <laughs> of a mountain line i literally dropped that thing a bunch of times trying to take some quality photos i barely got my photos taken and all of a sudden this nasty snowstorm comes rolling in where it's literally white out you can't even see like 100 yards yeah and now I'm like, well, I have a mountain lion on the ground. I got to start cutting this thing up. And I was just, I was actually like coming up into this basin and like moving camp. So I had all my camp on my back as well. So I'm like, I still have to find a place to put my camp. Now it's snowing. And like this area hadn't hit a lot of snow yet. I'm like, now I have to find some dry wood later on. But I have this mountain lion here. And I'm like, I kind of think I know how to cut up a mountain lion for a full full body mount, but I'm not sure. So I jumped yeah. on my inreach and I'm inreaching my dad. I already told him I, I killed a lion. And I'm like, Dad, Google right now how to how to skin a mountain lion and text it to me on my inReach in as much detail as you can. I don't care how many messages it takes. And so my dad was like, I got you. And like sent me all these messages about how to cut the mountain lion. It was like pretty similar to what I thought. It was like very similar to a bear. And then he's got stopped in the front shoulder. But that, I think that was like a really funny part and like a really good plug for like an inReach because like, you know, I never expected to kill a lion and I've never been around someone who's killed a lion. And now I've tried to cut this thing up and and do it in a snowstorm and like literally the craziest part about this is like trying to cut this line up it's literally white out snow to the point where it, it is so cold as well that i had to stop probably every 10 minutes and go back and like put my hands in my pocket rub my hands together a bunch of times and like literally sit there in a ball to warm my body up and then go back and cut the line again and then my hands would get numb go back and cut the line again like just all that back and forth just like it's that time again where you're just like you know, you know, you know, it sucks in the moment, like yeah. you're physically drained and emotionally drained because you just, it's got out the high of shooting a lion and you have to deal with all this. But I'm like, there's no better place in the world I'd rather be than shooting a lion that deep in the mountains all by myself, solo, than going through all those struggles. Like that just made that so much more rewarding to do it by myself, glass it all up and deal with all that and deal with all the snow and the weather. And it kind of made it fun for a while. I was like, yeah, it sucks. Cause like literally I would sit down for like five minutes and I just have a blanket of snow all over my jacket. Like it was snowing so hard, <laughs> but that was a super, super fun hunt. And then, yeah, the other, the other opportunity was, yeah, I had an elk tag um, when I was hunting in Colorado, picked up an overcounter elk tag and I'm mainly focusing on deer. And yeah, I ended up killing a bull on, I think like the fourth, I think it was like the fourth day I killed the bull. I actually passed up or didn't pass up. I tried to kill a bigger bull um, a couple, like a day earlier. Mm -hmm. And then I even told my ca my camera guy, Luke, I was like, people are probably gonna make fun of me, but I'm leaving this elk, this big, like three <laughs> 20 inch Colorado over the counter bull. I'm not going to go try to find him again. I already sat on him for like four hours trying to, trying to kill him. And he never showed up. I'm leaving this bull because there's no mule there here. We're going to go try to find mule there. And then it turns out all I found was elk the next day. So I was like, well, we're in spot now. There's elk here. Let's go kill this elk. And had a wild, crazy adventure trying to kill that bull. And like that was, you know, I haven't, I haven't killed a lot of bulls. I've only killed three bulls because, you know, I usually don't have elk tags in my pocket. But I figured this year, like, well, might as well throw an elk tag in my pocket. I always see elk. And it turns out this is a year of having extra tags in my pocket paid off because that just made the whole hunt right there because 
literally beforehand, I was seeing small bucks. And even afterwards, we were just seeing small bucks. So it was like having those two extra tags in my pocket kind of saved my season in a way because now I got a full freezer of meat, had a bunch of cool adventures and yeah, shot an awesome, you know, over-the-counter bull. It was just a raghorn five-by-five, but still a super cool bull on an over-the-counter hunt and, you know, can't complain at all. I'd shoot that any day. Yeah, absolutely. Have you eaten any of the cougar meat yet or your mountain lion or? Uh, unfortunately i haven't yet i got back from my hunt and uh, while i was out there too um i was going to debone my mountain lion meat after i shot it but i was like oh i'm so exhausted right now i had to find a bunch of firewood and, and make camp so i just hung the quarters in the tree and of course that night it got freezing cold and uh, all my quarters just froze solid and then so i went right from there to colorado and then i f- had a friend who i I met up with him at his house and threw all the mountain lion meat in this freezer. So it was rock solid. And then yeah. coming back here, I was like, well, I should take care of this elk first. Cause the elk's, you know, not frozen yet. Yeah. And so I had it in my freezer and then I'm right now, I'm like in between like preparing for another hunt. So I'm like, well, I'll just try to take care of it when I get back. But I'm super excited. I packed out all that meat, even though in Idaho, you're not required to take mountain lion meat. I just, I've had it before in like a stew and it was really good, but anything in a stew is you yeah. know, really, really tasty. But like, even when I checked in my line at Idaho Fishing Game, they were like, you, you kept the meat? And I was like, yeah, I kept the meat. Like, oh man, we hear so many people say how the meat's just phenomenal. Like absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. even, even my dad, my dad shot a line before and he said, yeah, it was super good. So I'm really excited to make some like chorizo out of it or just grind it all up into like, you know, taco meat and stuff like that. But I'm super excited when I get back from this next hunt to uh, cut up that mountain lion meat and try some. Nice. Are you going to, uh, I'm assuming you're going to get it mounted in some way? Yep. Yeah. I, f- I figure too, since I saved all that money and shooting myself and not hiring a guy that I can, uh, you know, afford to do a full body. Mount. I think it's going to be pretty cool because it is a female, but it's a super old female. Like, I don't know if you saw the photos. I just put on my Instagram story for a little bit. I'll probably highlight them here in a little bit once I get the age back, but there's literally no teeth on the upper and the lower part of the jaw right in between the canines and all the canines are all worn down and all like squared off. And even Idaho fishing game was like, I don't know if we've seen a mountain lion this old in a long time. Nice. And like, since it's a female, it's not like a big giant body, but yeah. when I was like laying next to it, I was like, dang, this thing's like two inches shorter than I am. I think the lion's like six foot three, probably from nose to tail. Like it's a, still a really long line. The skull to me looks really big. I have no clue you know, yeah. how big mountain lion skull is, but I'm really excited to try to score it too, to, just to get a good reference on it. But I think it's going to be a super cool mount. I figure I just have to do it justice. Like that, that rare of a, you know, an encounter with a mountain lion and then shooting with a rifle, you know, without dogs. That's like, dude, that's going to be a cool mount. Yeah. Yeah. It should turn out cool. Are you going to get it with like some kind of like landscape or vegetation on it or just the mount or. Yeah. I was, I was thinking like, since it was on like a boulder, I'll probably like try to get some like fake boulder and have it like either laying on a boulder or like sitting upright on a boulder and maybe have some like, you know, fake snow around it. Nice. I already got a spot right in my house. I think, I, I think I bring pretty much every one of my mounts to the office. Cause I like looking at them and like, you know, sharing it with other people when they come in the office, but I think I'm going to keep my mount line at my house. I got to start having mounts in my house to, you know, yeah. look at and enjoy. Yeah. Well, you know from experience, having mounts around the office is dangerous sometimes. It it is dangerous. Yes, <laughs> you gotta watch. You gotta watch those construction workers because they will break your biggest mule deer if they don't. You're not watching them all the time. Yeah, but so you mentioned briefly that you're getting ready for another hunt. You told me what it is, but kind of tell me about that. What you're getting ready? Oh for. yeah, it's the literally the something that I've been dreaming about my whole life in a hunt that I would never think I could ever do in my whole life. So it's pretty crazy to say that I'm finally going to be a sheep hunter <laughs> and I'm going to a place where the world's largest, like basically largest horned sheep species. I'm going to uh, Tajikistan and hunting Marco Polo sheep and I'm hunting Ibex. Nice. So pretty crazy to think that i'm finally going to be a sheep hunter and like it's still i'm still trying to wrap my brain around this like it's been a dream my whole life like i'm going to be literally poor my whole life because of this but it's like again i i crave adventure and this is like an adventure to the highest level it's like adventure on steroids like i've never even left the north american continent before i've only (laughs) been to like canada and mexico yeah 
and and jokingly too i tell people around the office like i've never actually even gone to the bathroom on an airplane <laughs> and i'm at the point in my life where i'm kind of embarrassed about that because i'm like like how do i go to the bathroom on an airplane do i stand up in line what if there's turbulence do i have to go sit down like what if some kid needs to go to the bathroom and i let him go in front of me am i gonna have to kneel when i get in the bathroom because i'm so tall like i'm gonna have to figure this out and i'm 36 <laughs> years old and i haven't ever used an airplane bathroom so like I have a lot of crazy stuff that's going to happen the next week. And literally like right now it's November 20th. I leave in, I think three days. Nice. So it's coming up fast and I've been literally preparing my whole entire year. And that's kind of why a little bit too, I was a little hesitant on some of the tags I, I tried to apply for because I knew I didn't want to have anything in November. Like once that first week of November went by, cause I just don't want to get hurt. I didn't want to overexert myself on any hunt. So I was trying to take it a little easy on my two deer hunts and just make sure my body's been in the perfect condition possible. And that's why this year too, like I've always been a person who, you know, loves working out and loves weights and fitness. And I've, I've been taking it to a whole nother level, just preparing for this hunt. Like this is literally the, like the, I think the coolest mountain hunt ever, like hunting Marco Polo in Tajikistan, like base camp over there, is, I think 13, five. And we hunt all the way up to like 15 and a half, maybe 16,000 feet of elevation. And yeah, like we've been planning this for three years since we started talking to the uh, people we booked with and just knowing too that right now, like this late November, first part of December is the rut over there. So the sheep, we're going to see literally hundreds of sheep a day. Like no joke. I bet we'll like people I do could possibly see. Oh, you there? and it's gonna be brutally cold like they're already i'm only looking right now the highs are like 10 and and then probably in the mountains it's gonna be like a low of like negative 20 cool. so it's an absolute crazy adventure and that's why i've been really shooting my rifle even more this year just keeping everything just totally dialed and just literally all i've been thinking about is this hunt i have like if you could see my house right now there's little gear laid out everywhere gear in my bedroom gear downstairs i'm just getting ready to kind of pack up my bags a little bit i've already pre-packed them once Look through all the gear again. Look through all my checklists. Look through all my Excel sheets of what I packed and what I need to pack. And yeah, this this is one of those hunts where it's just mind blowing that I'm finally going to do this. And I and the cool part is I'm going to share it with my dad. Um, nice. But if my dad's you know lifelong dream to do this and he wanted to do it, and I was like I'm I'm in, but I'm not going to be able to afford it. So we're gonna I'm gonna have to work something out. But it's going to be oh, I. I so crazy right now to think that literally in four days I'll be, you know, across the world potentially hunting, you know, the world's biggest sheep species. Nice. What is like the planning been getting all the logistics taken care of as far as, you know, just getting over there, getting all your gear and rifle and all that over there. What has that whole process been like? Gosh, it's been like a million emails, million phone calls, like constantly. Like I had to get, I had to apply for like a Tajikistan visa. I had to, I had to make sure my U.S. passport was still updated. And luckily, my passport's still good to go. And just figuring all sorts of weapons permits and then uh, getting this, like, rough rough gear list from them. But basically, still, I, I have kind of no clue what to bring besides for every little piece of clothing that I have. You know, I'm going to have so many different, you know, insulation pieces. I have 1,000-gram insulated boots. You know, I got these big, giant, uh, you know, insulated mittens that make me look like I'm going up to climbing up Everest, like <laughs> – it's been a constant just, do I have the right gear? Do I need extra gear? Like even just thinking about like all the bad things that could happen with my rifle on the way there. Like I know I have, you know, TSA locks cause you have to have locks on the, on the rifle, but I'm bringing extra locks in case like TSA somehow cuts my locks. And I'm like, Oh yeah, now you don't have any locks. Your rifle can't travel. Well, I have backup locks, you know, just trying to think of every little small thing I need. And, and also the worst part is too, like, to, to go into Tajikistan right now, you have to have a negative COVID test still. Oh, we're still in, we're, we're in 2022 and you have to have a negative COVID test or you have to be vaccinated. I'm definitely not vaccinated. So I have to get, I, once I land, we go from Chicago to Istanbul, Turkey. And then we're staying a full day in Istanbul, Turkey, do some sightseeing before we fly over to Dushanbe, which is the, uh, I think it's the capital of Tajikistan. So in Istanbul, I had to schedule a COVID test. So once I land there, I have to go get a COVID test. And I am not going to lie. I'm pretty nervous about having a COVID test. And like, what if that thing comes back negative or positive? I mean, yeah. What am I going to do? 
I'm going to take that test 100,000 times until it comes back negative and then give them that one. Yeah. There's no, there's no way I'm not going on this hunt. And that's why also I was like trying to be really careful about what I'm doing right now and trying to be really careful what I'm hanging out with. Like, I don't, you know, believe in the whole COVID thing or whatever. So I'm not really worried, but like, I just don't want a little silly piece of paper and a test to impede what could be, you know, the hunt of a lifetime. Yeah. Cause this has been just crazy trying to plan. Like I said, I've literally like the giant Excel sheet that's open on my computer all the time of looking through my gear, making sure I have, you know, the right socks I need, making sure I have all my weapons permits, making sure my, my U S passport is sitting right on top. And I don't forget that. And trying to figure out what optics I should bring. And you're only limited to 40 rounds of ammo. And I'm like, well, 40 rounds seems like a lot, but what if I get over there and all these millions of flights, my rifles bumped and it might take me, you know, 10, 15 shots somehow to, yeah. get everything dialed again and now i have you know 25 rounds to hunt with and just trying to think of all that stuff that like even though it's probably gonna go really smooth you know but it's so hard not to think of all the other crazy things that could happen when you get over there or lost baggage and you know i've already i already have my optics bag ready to go i think my my, my carry-on bag's probably gonna weigh like 60 pounds because i have <laughs> two i have two cameras or three cameras i'm bringing two like digital still photography cameras. I'm bringing one video camera because I'm going to try to, like, it's, it's way too expensive for, you know, go hunt to have a, a camera guy go with. Uh-huh. And so that's why when I was in Idaho, it's kind of nice because my camera guy who was going to go on that leg of the hunt, he got COVID supposedly and couldn't go. So basically we went out and bought a little vlogging camera, like a little like self point and shoot thing. So I've been like the whole Idaho hunt, I was like kind of practicing of like how to like record a hunt by myself you know, I, my arms are, you know, gigantically long. So it's basically like a, you know, human selfie stick. <laughs> so I've been, you know, I'm gonna have three different cameras trying to record this hunt and try to, I, I just kind of want to do something special since it's with my dad and try to document the hunt as much as I can, but also realize at the same time, you know, to like recognize when to put away my camera because it's yeah. a hunt of a lifetime. Like I, I want to soak it up too, but I also want to make sure I, I capture as many memories as possible. That's why I'm bringing two cameras in case one breaks and I got a video camera as well. And then all that's going to go in like a carry-on. My spotter's going to go in that bag. My op- my binoculars are going to go in that bag. So all my really, really expensive gear that I can't live without is going to be on me at all times. So if some other bags get lost, at least, you know, my dad has a rifle and I have all my optics at least. But yeah, it's a, I think it's a logistic nightmare trying to get over there. And I'm sure I'll have some, you know, better thoughts after I get back. But right now I'm just like overwhelmed of trying to make sure I have everything and also trying to make sure I have my work stuff dialed it's not the most ideal time to be going away in a hunt since we have all these, you know, sales and yeah. application application seasons coming up right now too. So there's a lot of work to be done, but yeah, yeah, I'm almost at the finish line of just relaxing and going on the most epic, epic hunt possible. Nice. Where is kind of, I mean, Tajikistan's obviously somewhere in the Middle East, but kind of where is like the, what's a good reference for people to get a location on that? I believe it's just uh, like northwest of Afghanistan, and then it also borders China, okay. like the western western edge of China. Okay. So and that's like what makes that's what makes it really interesting as well, because we'll literally be driving along the border of Afghanistan, which there's yeah. not some nice people over there. That's what I was about to ask. Has that been any conversation? Because I mean, it's no secret, and I'm sure somebody will get offended, but it's no secret that the Middle East isn't the pe- most peaceful part of the world. Yeah, that's definitely, especially like thoughts in my head a little bit, but I, I keep looking up to like, you know, I've looked right, right when I knew we were going to book this hunt, I was like looking up like crime rates in Tajikistan and how safe is it to travel to Tajikistan. And like, really what I found out from doing a bunch of like research is it's not actually that scary when you come down to it. Yeah, there is bad people over there, but like all these big cities, like this is a normal place, kind of like, you know, I live in Las Vegas and I think most people would probably consider Las Vegas dangerous in a way. There's always something weird going on or all these other big cities in the U S like Detroit, or, you know, you never know, you know, there's always bad people here and there, but I think as long as you just keep your head right. And luckily we do have a big group of guys, you know, that are cause obviously it's a guided hunt. So we have, you know, interpreters and people picking us up at the airport and kind of walking us through step by step. So I think in that sense, I'm pretty comfortable with everything, but I've definitely been seeing a lot of stuff going on in the world. And I just like, I hope all that stuff just calms down. And nothing gets crazy where this hunt gets to be pushed off to another year because literally I'm ready to go right now. And I, I just could not imagine this thing getting pushed to next year. Yeah. Have you had to push it already or? 
No, we, we haven't had to push it, but we did have an opportunity last year to get like a cancellation, but oh. that cancellation would have been like October. Ah. And, and it was like a three week notice. And like, my dad was like, well, I'm not in shape yet. I can't do that. But I was like, well, I could go right now, but we really want to do this late November, December because of the rut and because of the snow, all the sheep will be pushed down. Yeah. And then if I have to push this on to another year, which we could be fine. Cause like, I will not apply for mule deer if I don't have to, but like literally this year, I, you know, avoided applying for certain states and species and kind of watch my points because I didn't want to, you know, draw something really sweet right mm. before I would go on this hunt. So yeah, having to do that, do that again next year would kind of be a little pain, but obviously I would do it because once in a lifetime, a lifetime opportunity like this, but yeah, just hoping it all goes smooth. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be quite the adventure for you. I'm excited for yeah. you. Me, me and my dad have this like shared photo album or literally I have screenshots of hundreds of marco polo sheep and we keep texting each other what does that one score what do you think that one is would you shoot that one just trying to like the hardest part is trying to get a good representation of what we're going to be going after you know because like you get over there and all these sheep look gigantic yeah but i want to make sure yeah i want to go after the biggest one but i also don't want to pass on something that's really good i just don't know it Mm -hmm. and i also maybe don't want to get in that situation where you know, the guides are really excited. You know, they might want some tip money right away and they want you to be successful. So like, oh yeah, shoot that one, shoot that one on day one. I'm like, well, it's day one. I'll pass yeah. right now, you know, knowing that, you know, there's other ones out there at least and just trying to figure that out. And I've literally watched every single YouTube video on Marco Polo, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, any Marco Polo hunt. I've watched every single one of them. I have a playlist on my YouTube. I've watched them multiple times. I've literally watched every single Ibex video out there. Just trying to like, you know, figure out maybe what the train's going to look like, what people are wearing, you know, how to go about the hunt, what I might expect, because there's still a lot of unknowns. Like, yeah, we've been talking to these people for, you know, three years, but there's still, you know, questions that I have that haven't really been answered and just trying to like, they're, they're answering the best of their ability, but I'm the type of person who likes to be really dialed. And, you know, I like having waypoints of where we're camping and I don't even have a waypoint where we're camping going in, just knowing, hey, we're going to Sheikistan and it's going to be super remote. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What is the scoring like on those sheep? Like what would be like the equivalent to like a 200 inch deer or a 400 inch bull or something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I know I've seen a lot of scores in like the, like SCI scores, maybe around like that 220, 230 inch range. But I think the, the most people what they've I've seen go by is like inches of the horn length. Mm-hmm. And so I think this year, the biggest ram killed is 64 inches. Okay. And I do, and I do believe they say like they're at, they try to have an average of like 58 to, you know, that mid 60 mark. That's kind of what you're looking for. Nice. And basically if you look, if you, if anyone ever listens to this, Google's Marco Polo, uh, Marco Polo sheep, basically what I'm looking for is they basically curl kind of twice. Yeah. So they curl like a normal bighorn and they kind of curl out again. As long as it has that deep curl and I get a full other curl, that's a sheep I'm totally happy with. I just want that big double curl, that classic Marco look. Yeah. And it's also been fun too. It's like, you know, I'm really big on, you know, biology and learning about the animals. So like I said, I've been watching all these YouTube videos, but I also have bought like several books lately too, about like Marco Polo and all these, like they're really old books of like sheep hunters going over there, just kind of like learn, you know, as much as I can. I've even downloaded some biology reports of people doing like studies on bighorn sheep population or, Marco Polo population, just trying to like, you know, make myself due diligence of not just going over there blind and actually know a little bit of something that's going on. And I wish I knew more about like Tajikistan and the culture and things like that, but I had a long airplane ride. So I'll probably be diving in some more reading material on the airplane. And yeah, it's also, I think we have like a, I think it's like 20 hours of vehicle drive time too, once we actually get over there. So it's like, I think it's literally like three full days of travel just to get to sheep, just to get to sheep camp, which also makes me crazy excited about it. You know, all those scenery I'm going to see, all the, you know, different small little local villages and towns and crazy hotels. And it's, it's just mind blowing really like all the cool stuff I'm going to see in a short period of time in a place that, you know, I guarantee I'll never go again in my life, but like to know that I'm going somewhere so remote, so rugged like basically almost like i'll be hunting kind of like the same elevation as ever space camp in a way like that's yeah. crazy to think about 
Yeah, I mean, where you're hunting is basically double the elevation of where most people hunt here in America. Yeah, I've, I've never even been. I think the highest I've ever gone is like maybe 12,000 feet in Colorado on like a scouting trip. And like trying to figure out how, how my body's going to react to elevation. You know, I've gone, I never go to the doctor. I've never been a doctor in my life. And I was like, well, I probably should go to the doctor beforehand. Maybe like figure stuff out. And I also went to the doctor to get some like high elevation pills in case, you know, you get altitude sickness or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the biggest reassuring thing to me was I got my, uh, they're like, yeah, you're, you know, you're 36. You ever got your blood drawn? I'm like, no, I've never been to the doctor. Literally, I'm the person who's the healthiest person in the world. Never sick. I never go to the doctor. Like, oh, maybe you should get your blood drawn. So I got this blood test earlier this summer and I got back my results and a lady walks in and she's like, normally I have like either good news for someone or bad news for someone, but your results are absolutely phenomenal. She's like, I've never seen numbers like yours before for a person who has no baseline of what your number should be, like all your different levels of whatever it is, you know, in your body, like your numbers are off the charts, absolutely perfect. And I'm like, really? And she's like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, what do you eat on a normal basis? And I was like, literally, I eat venison every single day. Yeah. Rarely eat any vegetables. I don't, I hate sugar. I hate sweets. She's like, whatever you're doing works. Because I, she's like, I'm a, like, a, I think she said she was like a marathon runner or something like that. And she's like, I'm a doctor. I know what my level should be at. And I'm not even at your level. So I'm like, okay, guess I should continue running and hiking and eating venison every single day the rest of my life. Because I guess I'm somehow a really, really healthy person. So that was reassuring for knowing what I'm going into and just knowing that my body can probably handle anything at these elevations. Nice. But there's still that scary factor. You just just never know. Cause like, you know, even, even being at 12,000 feet, your body just gets drained and, you know, be base camps at 13, five. So. Yeah. Nice. How many days do you have to hunt? I believe it's like seven, maybe seven full days, maybe eight. Nice. I honestly can't remember. I, all I've been looking at right now is my my flights and just like, yeah. wow, I have a lot of flights to get over there. <laughs> but the cool thing is too, like I think most people when they get over there, you know, you get really excited. Obviously, there's not there's not a lot of other sheep hunters because you know sheep hunting does take some money and it's pretty crazy what I'm about to be going through. But I also heard something the other day that I think more people climb Everest every year and kill a Marco Polo. Wow. Which is, in a sense, kind of crazy to think about as well. So, like, there's not going to be a lot of sheep hunters in camp. I think there's maybe one other sheep hunter. And so, pretty much, we have all this giant – I don't even know how big this area is, but huge area to hunt. And I think most people, they say, usually get their sheep within three days. Okay. Because there's just so many sheep, and you'll be looking over a lot. And there's just, you know, that pristine, like I said, it's what basically sheep hunting used to be here. There's just so many sheep. And then after that, we moved right into Ibex. And Ibex will be one of those ones I think you have to work a lot harder for because they're going to be, you know, still up in the rocks. But this time of year, those sheep are going to be kind of down those low valleys. Yeah. Right, so you're so putting, I, I'm just, on the Marco Polo? or Yeah. Yep, definitely. I want to I want to try to get that knocked off. I really want my dad to take his Marco first. Just because uh, my dad actually just got knee surgery last year and and like end of November, first part of December, timed it right where they said he'll be totally ready to go, but still that's like, you know, he's been mountain biking all year. He's been trying to weight train a little bit, but you know, my dad's like, yeah, I could probably do a couple big climbs, but I don't want to overexert myself right away. So I want to make sure if there's a big Ram giant Mm -hmm. Ram, I want him to take it right away. So it doesn't overexert him himself because we've all talked like we want to be with each other the whole time. Like I want to see him kill and be right next to him. And he wants to see me kill. And he's like, if you do have to go somewhere crazy to shoot a big giant Ibex and you want to do your crazy mountaineering thing and go way high in the mountain with the guys, you you could probably do that with the Ibex. But he's like, we want to be with each other on the Marco because it's just such a cool animal. And you know, that bucket list thing that we've been dreaming about forever. We want to be with each other on. Nice. Cool, man. Well, I won't keep you on here too much longer. But before we let you go, two questions I want to ask every guest is one for a book recommendation. Um, I know you're a pretty big reader. I try to do it quite often as well. So is there a book that you that's kind of always at the top of your list? Lately, I'm on my second read of this book right now. And I guarantee you probably read this one, Extreme Ownership by Jocko. Yep. Absolutely phenomenal book. If you want a book that's going to motivate you and get you fired up in life, hunting, work, whatever it is, like that's the book you got to read. 
like I've been really big on a bunch of these type of motivational like books lately like you know even like Goggins book like can't hurt me that's a phenomenal one Cam Haynes book is absolutely great too yeah like I think I think like you know I get caught up a lot of times in reading a lot of hunting based stuff but like trying to think outside the box sometimes and try to dive into these and like how can I use what they're doing in their world and morph that into hunting yeah and morph that into my lifestyle my mindset and just make me a better person make me a better you know co-worker employee make me myself a better hunter like those books are absolutely phenomenal but i do have a hunting book recommendation as well so if a guy who wants because i read I, I think i literally own every single mule deer book that's ever been published <laughs> and a lot of those books that i will say are the best aren't even hunting related it's again, those books that are more biology and science-based and all that research stuff, because like you think, you know, you can learn all you can about hunting tactics and read hunting stories from millions of people all the time. But like when it comes down to it, all this stuff that we go after and pursue is sometimes rooted in science. So like to me, biology and animal behavior is super important. So there's a really good book out there. I've read it several times and have a ton of notes in it. It's, it's really, it's a simple title. It's just Mule Deer and Black-Tailed Deer of North America. It's just a giant, just giant book. I don't know what it is, 600, 700, some pages of just like research studies and different things about mule deer, you know, telemetry studies, like behavior, like what do they feed on? Like where the winter range look like, whether, you know, what is, what, what, like the predator influence on mule deer, what does that do to them? And just like diving into that science. Like I love, like I, I obviously have a biology background, so I geek out on this stuff. But I think if more would read like biology based books for hunting, you probably yeah. learn a little bit more about the animal you're going to pursue. And it doesn't have to be like, there's a ton of elk books out there, but like diving into, I think this research stuff is uh, very powerful for, for hunters to kind of learn from. Absolutely. Nice. And then last question before we let you go, who's a, what's a guest recommendation? Somebody you think I should have on that can educate people, inspire people or whatever the case may be. Ooh, I know the guy. Travis Nowatney. Yep. You can get Travis Nowatney. He's basically Mr. Do it all. You know, he's, I believe one of the founders of goat knives. Yeah. Super, super smart individual. Literally that guy goes hunting and he kills something in the first couple of days. That guy's a straight up killer and he is a wealth of knowledge. If you can dig it out of him, he's a guy who could go on and on about and he's, he's a great bow hunter. He's a great rifle hunter. He's killed a lot of wolves, killed a lot of big bears. Like he's a very, very well-rounded, absolute killer when it comes to anything mountain hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see it all over social media every year. It's, it seems like every other week he's posting some success picture on Instagram. Yeah, and he's he's, a, he's one of those guys too that works hard, self-made guy, you know, has a, just a bunch of jobs he does. And yep. he owns like an electric company, but like, he gets after it. No son of manages time, manages job to get out and hunting. That's probably he just has a job like most of us, just so we can go hunting. Like, and he does it. He does it right. Absolutely, cool, man. Well, before I let you go, how can people find you? Yeah, I uh, definitely ch- suggest everyone to check out Go Hunt. I have a ton of articles on there. I love writing, so my biggest goal in life is just to help people out. So check out Go Hunt. Check a bunch of my articles. On social media, it's pretty easy. It's just Brady underscore J underscore Miller. Check out all stuff on Instagram. I'm pretty good at DMs. If you guys want to send me DMs for questions and stuff like that, I definitely try to get back to everyone. But uh, around the hunting season, it gets kind of busy. But I love talking to people about hunting and questions, gear, even some research stuff too. I don't like to you know give out spots, but I can definitely help some people out on uh, their pursuit of you know, hunting mule deer in the West and just getting out and having fun. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, any last words before we let you go? No, man, I'm, I'm stoked for you. I was really excited when I saw this podcast launch that you did. And I was like, dude, he's going to nail this thing. And I actually love the name too, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I figure, I mean, compared, I kind of basically just, it describes me. I mean, I'm, I've done some backcountry hunts, but nowhere near what guys like you do. So Hey man, you're gonna you're gonna excel at it. I'm just I'm just kind of sad you moved out of Vegas. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's certain aspects I miss. I mean, obviously, you know, being close to the Gohan office, being able to stop in there every once in a while. But I'll be back for sure. Yep, I, I regret not walking over to the archery shop when you were over there. Could have got yeah. could have got some advice because you're probably a better bow tuner now than I am. <laughs> Maybe. You're, you're you're the wizard. I'm trying to be. Well, yeah, buddy. I I appreciate you having me on here. This is this was really fun and. Anytime I get a chance to talk about hunting, I'm all for it. And I, I can get way too long-winded. So no, you're good, man. Yeah, well, we'll have to, have to do it again sometime. Definitely. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, you have a good night, and I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Yep. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Brady. Um, Brady, if you're listening, thanks again for coming on, and good luck on your hunt in Tajikistan. I hope everything goes to plan. I hope you stay safe. Um, but definitely, definitely need to try to get you on again at some point. Maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into, you know, mule deer hunting specifically. Um, but real quick, before I let you guys go, if you guys want to check out the podcast social media, once again, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. And then my personal is c.dillashaw. Once again, thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you guys next week.